You were created for more, and this show is meant to inspire and equip you with the tools you need to help you live on purpose. This is the podcast that keeps it real and highlights amazing business owners and impact makers so that you get your fire ignited and take your greatness out into the world. If you've got big dreams and know you were created for more, this is the place to be, and I'm so happy you're here. Welcome to the Created For More podcast. Hey, it's Lisa, and I've got a quick question for you. Are you looking to create consistent 10K plus months with the course or membership? I have a feeling you might be. That's why I partnered with Haley Burkhead, CEO of Recurring Profit, to sponsor this episode. Haley created a free training that breaks down her exact automated process for creating consistent 10K months. And as a listener of the Created From Our podcast, she's also giving you exclusive access to her recurring profit roadmap Trello board. You want free access? Go to recurringprofit.com slash automate. You'll also see it in the show notes. Go check it out. All right. So you might need a tissue box to be next to you while you listen to this episode. I mean, Joy is incredible. Her story is uh, I don't know, inspiring and just wow. I met Joy last year at an event and she was supposed to be a guest on my podcast back then. And, you know, things just kind of changed in my business. My podcast path changed too. So when I relaunched in September, I definitely wanted to get Joy on and she did. So I'm going to just let you hear the story. But again, I hope that you hear this with your heart more than anything, because it's going to speak to you overcoming anything that comes at you in life. This story is going to just inspire you to keep going. So Joy has the privilege of sharing her experience as the lone survivor of a fatal plane crash. When others told her she would never walk again, she proved that she would do more than that. She would dance again. Joy is a number one best-selling author, had her featured, her story featured on CBS TV, and has been interviewed on top-rated podcasts. She has worked in the airline industry for nine years and currently works as an airport operations manager for United Airlines. She holds a BS in air traffic management and an MS in aeronautics, along with her private pilot license and aircraft dispatch certificate. The plane crash broke every extremity, threatening to destroy everything she had worked for. Only a week after Joy's life-changing crash, a counselor told her she may be afraid to fly again, to which she replied, that is the stupidest thing I have ever heard. For her, mediocrity is synonymous with failure and limits are something to be redefined and conquered. Yes, Joy, a girl after my own heart, you are going to love this episode. Let's get started. Hey, Joy. Hi, Lisa. I have been, I've been waiting for this conversation for a year, as you know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So a little backstory for the listeners. And actually a couple weeks ago, I interviewed Tracy, who was also from an event that we met at the same event a year ago. And then my life and podcast just kind of was not ready. And things like totally change. And then I followed up with fingers crossed, like, can you guys please still speak because you're amazing. And you both said yes. So joy, we get to talk about your story today. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. 
And I need to listen to Tracy's too. I, I saw hers on your channel and thought, oh, I'm going to do that today. Yes. She was so fun and so helpful. I love, um, I just love the stories of like, why you're even here doing what you're doing, talking about what you're talking about today, like what happened. And I know we had that quick bio and intro of you, but like, we got to dive into it because it's incredible and inspiring on so many levels. And that journey is still like evolving. Yeah, very much so. So I'll jump right in. (laughs) Yeah. I was on vacation in Alaska with my best friend and also my housemate and her aunt and uncle who lived out in Alaska. We were having the best vacation I think I've ever had, the most relaxful. We flew down, um, her aunt and uncle owned a float plane. We flew down to a small pond, glacier lake, middle of nowhere, absolutely no cell signal. It was amazing. Just Mm -hmm. perfect. Spent about three days out there. And on the flight back, as we were flying back, we did the normal pilot things. So I'm a pilot also. I got to fly right seat to, you know, manipulate the controls a little bit when it was clear and easy and he wasn't worried about me doing anything. <laughs> but we checked the weather. We said, okay, everything's clear. Sky is beautiful. Let's go back home. Let's get dinner, unpack and figure out what we're going to do for the rest of the week that you girls are here. So we took off. We found a pod of whales, actually. We Mm -hmm. flew over the whales. It was a two mamas and a baby and like some rogue teenager calf off on the side thinking he was doing (laughs) something. It was it was awesome. Flew back over the mountains. And before we knew it, we hit smoke. Now, when you're flying and you hit smoke, it's like if you stuck your face into a bowl of cream of mushroom soup, like that's how good you can see outside the plane. And it went from crystal clear to absolutely nothing well pilot her uncle kicked into gear he's flown that route for 20 years it's their property he's been there and back and so i just relaxed and thought okay what can i do right now i don't know where we're at i don't know this plane he doesn't know me i'm gonna offer my services but like the biggest thing i could do is be quiet and let him fly and uh the alarm started going off just being like terrain terrain pull up pull up and like, we can't pull up. Like, what good is that going to do? And turned out he was actually hugging the side of the mountain intentionally because we were in a mountain valley at about 2,500 feet and the tops of the mountains were 5,000 or more. So not good in any circumstances. He told us to look out the windows for trees. That was our collision avoidance. So we almost had turned the plane around when we got hit by turbulence and the turbulence hit the plane so violently, my door flew open I reached out, grabbed the door, slammed it shut, thinking we're almost to Anchorage. Keep it together. You can hold the door shut for another 20 minutes till we get there. The problem was the turbulence kept going and actually jackknifed us into the mountain instead of parallel to the mountain. The pilot saw it just before we did, pulled up the plane, and we basically did a circle and fell back into the same exact mountain. And I woke up probably just a few moments later. The engines and, or sorry, the instruments and stuff were still kind of like humming, whirling down a little bit and looked around and all I could see was dirt, broken glass, twisted metal. And I thought, what happened? What changed? <laughs> what is going on? And the strange thing is, is right before that, right when we were falling through the sky 
And again, I'm a pilot. I know what a stall feels like when you lose all airflow under the plane and it just kind of falls, like it just drops. Your stomach yeah. just kind of has this, ugh, like when you're on a rolling coaster. I don't like that feeling. It's a bad feeling. Mm. And I just kind of felt this peace and calm come over me. And like God was telling me, you're going to be okay. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to be okay. And when I woke up in that plane, I believed that so much that I thought we were back in Anchorage watching a war movie. And I thought, well, that's the only explanation because we're going to be okay. And so we're back watching the movie. And as I woke up, I realized that was not the case. And I looked in the back seat. I hollered at my friend and her aunt. They didn't answer. And I realized they were both immediately gone. They didn't even know what would hit them, which was a blessing in disguise because I knew the injuries were going to be so bad. My friend would not have recovered from it. She had previous medical problems. And I just prayed and kind of thanked the Lord that she didn't know what hit her. She just had the best three days of her life. And then poof, she was, you know, in heaven. But that meant, okay, now I'm the only one left that could do anything, right? So I lift up my arm to push open my door roll down the hill, go get help. And the bottom portion of my arm just kind of flopped like a pendulum. Like it just swang freely. And I'm like, oh, that's not good. And I can't get out if my arm is broken. So I looked at it. It wasn't bleeding much. And so I'm thinking, okay, keep it rational here. It's not bleeding. You're not going to bleed out. See what you could do. And I found if I looked at the tips of my fingers, I could actually will them to walk, like pull myself up the buttons of the dashboard, kind of like rock climbing with my fingers, up the buttons of the dashboard, over the top, and then around the window frame to the top part of my arm that was still attached. And I pulled myself up trying to get out that door. And I did that four times and it hurt like heck every single time, but I couldn't get out. And all I was doing was getting weaker and weaker. And I realized if if I was going to be ready to go and rescue arrived, I needed to stop and rest and relax. And so I leaned over and I took a nap. And then about four hours later, a helicopter came over, woke me up. A guy showed up and I was thinking, you know, they probably don't even think anybody's alive. Well, I mean, I wouldn't if I saw this thing buried in the side of the mountain. Like I couldn't even see the engine anymore. It was buried so much in the mountain that there was maybe like the top of the engine cowling in front of us maybe. And so I heard footsteps and I just hollered out, help, there's still people alive. And they came around and he walked around like the right-hand side in front of me and said, hello, ma'am, we're from the National Guard and we're here to get you out. And I said, okay, great. My name is Joy. The two in the back are dead. My arm's broken. My wrist is broken. And the pilot is in really bad condition. Because he was still alive at this moment, but I believe he had broken his neck and he had a huge gash in his head and it it was it was bad. And he just kind of the National Guard guy just kind of looked at me and blinked like, for one, how are you alive? And for another, how are you giving me a rundown of everything? And unfortunately, after my brain gave the turnover, because, again, I work in airline operations and flights and things. And so it's a very practical sort of a mindset of. When you're in a stressful situation, you resort to simple, clear-cut turnovers. And so I did that. And then my brain said, okay, you can shut off now. And I did, unfortunately. The guys told me later that I was circling the drain and I was about to 
get out of there. They airlifted me out. I I have to double check with them how long it took. It took about an hour, I think, for them to get me cut out of the plane. And I found out about five days later when I woke up in the ICU that I had broken a lot more than my elbow and my wrist. I broke my back. I had four spinal cord tears. I broke both of my ankles. And when broke, I mean shattered completely. I broke my femur in two places, punctured a lung. And the perk was like, my face was good. I had no internal injuries. <laughs> my face was great. I had three little st- uh, staples on my scalp, but under the hairline. So, you know, nothing was really, really hurt. Bones can heal. And that's how I kind of took it was, okay, bones can heal. I'll be yeah. fine. Everything is okay. But it, it really kind of was a shocker waking up thinking that all that was broken was my elbow and maybe my left wrist. Right. Instead to find out, you know, the doctors are saying you're paralyzed. You may never be able to walk again. And some were saying you will never walk again. And I had hospital counselors coming in saying, oh, you're going to have such terrible PTSD. You're never going to want to fly again. And that was like two days into it. And I remember that moment I was high on drugs and I just looked up and I was just like, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like, why would I be afraid of what I love? Like, sure, Mm -hmm. there's going to be a rocky road getting back on it. But why would you go saying I'm going to be afraid of it? Like, get out of my room. I I never really liked the naysayers just for the sake of naysaying. They didn't know me. They didn't know my history, my background. And they just wanted to spew negativity. And I thought, that's stupid. Get out of my room. Yeah. Yeah. But I... I, In 20... 2019, summer of 2019. Okay. So it's been three and a half years. Yeah, not that long. Nope. Nope. I mean, when I think about it, I'm like, wow, I was way back there. Right. But then other times I'm like, I'm really not that long ago. So, right. It's really not. Did it? um, So, first of all, wow. I mean, seriously, like I knew. I knew this story was going to be powerful because I didn't hear the full story. I heard your, mm-hmm. you know, your pitch into <laughs> here's wh- who I am and, and what my life is. And then it was like, oh my God, this girl needs to be on my podcast. Um, and then some, because this is just, yeah, so powerful, but how long did it take you to, and if at all, okay, let me back up. So right away, you already knew like, you know, yeah, this happened, but like, this isn't going to be the end of everything because I love to fly. I'm going to be fighting for what I want and love to do. And at the same time, there had to have been some, some like PTSD for the sake of calling it something, some like emotion of overcoming this and going through that healing, both physically and emotionally and mentally. So when you used to tell this story, was it as easy as it seemed it was right now? The facts of it are are pretty easy. There's definitely aspects of it that um, will break me down a little bit, um, especially like the more emotional sides of it. I I enjoy adventure novels and stories and, you know, war movies and things like that. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, well, this is just for one of the sequence of events, especially leading up to what happened. And yes, it changed my life, but I try to look at it as 
this is what happened and this is how we got here. And I think understanding how I got there, especially in the field of loving aviation, like I understand how we got there. We made the bad decision to continue flying into smoke when as soon as we hit haze, we should have turned around. But also I know you can't dwell on the shoulda, couldas. That's not going to change anything. So as much as I can say, well, if we would have fill in the blank, it's not going to help anything. And so I realized the situations that led up to it and look for ways to try to, you know, raise smoke awareness of what Mm -hmm. things that you don't understand, but also in real life kind of realizing, okay, well, where do we go from here? What's the next steps I'm going to take? And so in the early portions, like even when I was in the plane and I realized my friend was dead, I made the conscious choice to be like, you know what? You're going to have to grieve that later. You can't do that right now. Because right now you have got a lot of stuff to do and you've got to keep it together, but you save that, like, don't, don't bury it, but tuck it away in a corner. And then when it is safe and comfortable and healthy for you to do that, you can grieve that later. And I did like a couple weeks. I don't actually remember later. I felt like I was in a safe physical state to be like, you know what? I can let down that guard. I can become vulnerable and really mourn and miss my friend. And then um, the part where the hospital counselors, you know, spewing all this negativity and it's two to three days after the crash. And I'm thinking, I don't know enough. I don't know where we're at. I don't know how this is going to play out. I don't know exactly what's going on. But what I do know is that I'm not going to let these negative thoughts get buried or planted in my mind to where that's going to play out later on. So we're going to squash that. If it comes up, it comes up. But right now, there's not enough information to support negative, And I'm going to keep working on the positive until proven otherwise, which is kind of how I faced the entire recovery process was I'm going to keep focusing on walking again. And I used to dance. I did all sorts. I did ballroom dancing and would go out with my friends and we'd go salsa bachata dancing. It's so much fun. And that was my life. And so I'm like, I'm going to dance again. I'm going to walk again. And as much as people would say, oh, okay, well, we'll see. I would still try to keep that as my focus until proven otherwise, which I was never proven otherwise. So I just kept up with it. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I'm, yeah. So before we hit record, we were talking a little bit about um, just how similar, not how similar. Well, I guess, yeah, how similar like our our um, message is around overcoming things that come up in our life. And so I and a lot of my listeners already know I have rheumatoid arthritis and I don't know what changed in my mindset, but like I didn't want to take medication for it in the beginning. And I would have so much negativity. Doctors didn't even want to help me. Like they were just like, you know, there's nothing I can do for you then. And And I did a lot of my own research, which they also hated. And I was Mm -hmm. like, I found one rheumatologist who was also a holistic practitioner who I adored. And he helped me with a little bit of a mix of both medication, but also just like natural ways to help my body. And then he passed away. So that was like really difficult. And then again, like just series of doctors, just, nope, I can't help you. Nope. I can't help you. No, you're stubborn. No, you're whatever you're going to like, you need to be on medication for the rest of your life. And I just was like, why? Like, you can't tell me why. 
So don't give me medicine just because that's what your little notebook says is the next step. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like mm-hmm. when we advocate for ourselves and fight for ourselves. We get to do so much more because we're not falling into that. Just like that doom and gloom, worst case scenario. I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't understand why some people feel like they're being realistic, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, and then I'm. I'm, I always say like in la la land, cause everything's just so dandy over here. And that's not the case. I deal with hurt and pain and, you know, challenges and failure, but it's not, I just don't stay there. And you didn't stay there. I think that's really, right. this is this journey is going is like, you're not staying in the circumstances that are coming up. You're just navigating through them to get to where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. No, I had those kind of doctors I had. So the neurosurgeon who actually did the surgery, he would never say that I couldn't walk again. His advice was you had four really bad spinal cord tears, but it's not a cut. So if it was a cut, I'd be like, you know what? Get ready for life as a complete paraplegic. But he said they're tears. And so you have five years, first years when you're going to get the most back. So do with that information what you will. And he would always keep a close eye and monitor and things. And my hips started moving a little bit. And so like I'm laying flat in bed with fixators screwed into every, well, three of the extremities that got broken. And I'm like, oh, look, I can salsa dance. And so I'd like do it like little, little hip wiggle movements in my bed. And Mm. he just smiled and was like, oh my God, someone stop this girl. But inside (laughs) he was just going there, see? You can do it. But he would also, he would never say, yeah, you can do it or no, you can't. But he was always that steady, scientific, factual voice of saying, whatever you get back in a year is going to be the most that you get back, but you can still get it back up to five years later. And so I thought, okay, cool. I'm set. So, and then I'd have other doctors come in and just roll their eyes and be like, well, you're not going to walk again. So get over it. And that was my orthopedic surgeon in Texas. And I just was like, all right, I'm going to have to prove it because he wouldn't believe me. And so he didn't see my vision and my passion. And so I eventually was able to get my right leg. That was the first one that got unweighted down and put back together to the, to a degree. And I got it to raise about two inches off of the bed. And so he came in and he was just like doing his normal check. How's everything going? I was like, Hey, I can move my leg now. And he goes, really? I was like, yeah. He goes, okay, show me. And so I like crank up my leg with all I've got. It goes up two inches. And it, his face just kind of went, huh. And then he goes, do it again. And so I kicked up higher because of course I'm trying to show him like, this is my, yeah. my Olympic <laughs> test right here. To be like, gonna happen. <laughs> and I could just see the light bulb go off in his eyes. Like mm-hmm. he just went, Wow. Because before he was trying to fix my left leg that almost had been amputated. It was so badly crushed and it had a fixator on it that he didn't know how to use. And he was way out of his league, but he was trying to do what he knew to do, which was to put a rod up the ankle, which would fix it at a 90 degree angle. But I'm saying I'm going to walk and I'm going to dance. And so I need ankles to dance. Come on, doc. And he's going, you should be happy you have a foot. So it was a little bit about perspective. And also, if I'm not going to walk again, 
what does it matter if my ankle moves? It's more important that it's secured. So that's where he was coming from, but I was coming from, I'm going to walk. And so I had to show and prove to him that's what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. And after that, like he came up with all sorts of different ideas, but again, he didn't necessarily have the knowledge to do the best idea. So he did the second best idea, which it it worked for the time being. It got me back up on my feet. But yeah. just seeing that light bulb go off of being like, you know what? I'm the patient. I shouldn't have to be proving to you what I can do. But here I am. I'm going to. This is something I'm going to do. And another time my orthopedic or sorry, no, occupational therapist was measuring me for a wheelchair. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't need a wheelchair. I'm not yeah. going to need it. But then I had to actually that one I had to surrender some on because she was like, you have a spinal cord injury. That means you have weakness. You may get up and be able to walk. You may be able to walk with or even without a cane or something like that. But say you want to go to the mall. Say you want to enjoy time with your friends. You want to go on a walk. You're going to get worn out. You're going to be slow. That's something if you want to be able to enjoy life. You need this assistive device to help you live your life and enjoy it to the fullest. And I really had to kind of, that was a moment of acceptance for me, not resignation, acceptance of this is how my body actually is. I need to accept the tools and the crafts that God has given me and science has created and put them to the best use that they can be. Not that I'm going to wheel around in a wheelchair for the rest of my life, although it is fun. I could pop wheelies. It's great fun. But it was having to accept this tool for my life. <laughs> oh God, so much fun. But yeah, it was yeah. it was kind of a mixture of those things of really listening to my it. body and my heart and right? and going from there. Yeah, I feel like, you know, yeah, science, medicine, it's amazing. And we've come obviously so far. And oh, yeah. it only goes so far. And mm-hmm. then comes God, right? Like, and yep. that power and faith is beyond anything. And I feel like it, it gets you, it gets you so much further. I mean, I, I feel like it's 80, 90% minimum our you know, our mindset, our faith, our belief in what's possible. And then, Mm -hmm. okay. And then what are the circumstances around me that I need to modify in order to step into that? That's kind of what I always believe. Like I never wanted to stop living my life and doing things with my family and camping and watching my girls do what they love. And, you know, it was really hard for me to walk in the beginning too. Like it hurt so bad and, and everything was so inflamed, but I wasn't going to stop. Modify mm-hmm. things, fine. Figure out how to open jars at home and take showers awkwardly. Okay. But like, I'm not going to stop taking showers. <laughs> Right. That's not an right? option. Please so it's don't. Like, it's a sim- the most simplistic thing of life. Okay. You're not going to stop that. So why would you stop going after bigger things too? You just have to mm-hmm. figure out how to do them with what you've got. And right. You know, you need, it took me forever to get a handicap placard so that I could park a little bit closer when I went places. And I'm such mm-hmm. a brat about it, but you know, I got it for for those just in case days where I wasn't feeling good and (laughs) there wasn't parking, but you know, just like wheelchair, it's like, yeah, it's there for when I need it and to help me live my best life. Right. And I I only used it for a little bit, but honestly, so as we were saying, like 
about six weeks, two months ago, I had another surgery because mm-hmm. remember the doctor who was out of his league, <laughs> you know, he, he basically like put duct tape on it in a way. Yeah. And then three years later, I broke the titanium rod that was in my leg, holding it together. And so I have a new doctor who completely reconstructed that leg. I believe it's going to be way stronger now, but I've been walking around with another fixator screwed into my leg at multiple different points and not able to put weight on it. And my right leg still has the spinal cord damage. Like it works, but it's not stable. Like all the weight has to go through my heel. My toes don't work. So balance is an issue. So even using crutches really is not a good, safe idea. So I've been using my wheelchair, especially in the kitchen. Like if I'm going to be carrying my meal out to my table or something like that, I can get around the kitchen in my crutches. But when it comes time to carrying something, it's all right, hop in the wheelchair and make it work for you. So instead of saying, oh, poor pitiful me, I need a maid. I go, I can still have the independence because I accepted the fact of how my body actually is instead of you know, being a stubborn brat and going, no, I insist I'm going to do this against all common sense. So you're right. It's it's a big balance of what's helpful, what's hurtful, what is reality and what is maintaining my optimism. Yeah. Amazing. So what, I mean, I know like we've already been talking for a while, but I have a couple more questions. Like what helped you recover and I know it's still an ongoing process we're always growing and becoming and whatever like we're always growing Mm -hmm. but how have you been able to just decide that it's not going to stop you or hold you back from anything and overcome something so incredibly difficult I had to really understand myself I think So understand my mindset and my physical body and push those limits that needed to be pushed. So Mm -hmm. early on, it was physical therapists trying to give me exercises and things to do, and it was helping, but it wasn't getting me where I wanted to go. And so I asked myself the question, how are you going to get there? You have all these tips and tricks and, you know, the whole raising the foot off of the bed, I could not lift my foot against gravity. So instead I thought, you know what, what if I just try to lift it up the edge of a pillow. So if I lay on my side, have a pillow between both legs, it's at like a 45 degree angle. What if I try to lift it up there because it's not, it's like 50% gravity now. And sure enough, it started to move. And I thought, you know, my therapist wouldn't have probably known to advise that or think of that. But in my mind, I was convinced, you know, by faith and by determination that I was going to be able to move my legs again. So I had to come up with all these different ideas, like, how can I get this to work? How can I get that to work? And then some days I had to realize, you know what? It's good enough that I was able to wake up and wash my face and keep some food down. And other days I thought, you know what? I feel like standing up today. So really taking the good with the bad, realizing I need to have flexible goals. Like I'm a very goal-oriented person and very type A person. And a lot of times I get down on myself and be like, I didn't get this done. Or I, I feel like today was a waste. And I started, yeah, I'm behind. I should be out. Like, why am I still in the hospital? This is really obnoxious Mm -hmm. and started learning. Okay. Take those small steps, be grateful for the small things, make flexible goals. And sometimes I'll make a goal of washing my face and "Ah, guess what? I did it. And other days, you know, I'll make a goal of, okay, well, 
I'm going to, this first day, I'm going to not use a cane at all and walk into and out of work with no cane. And Mm -hmm. I did it. And I took very tiny steps the entire time. And my friend almost scared me to death and knocked me over. But it was, I did it. And then two days later, it rained and I needed a cane again because it wasn't safe. So it's a lot about making the goals (laughs) (laughs) and trying to, you know, keep yourself on track. And especially for me, sometimes that was making a small goal because it's a mental game to say, look, you're still in the game and you can do it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make this tiny little goal that you can't not do. And then, hey, guess what? Now you feel empowered. Yes, I love that. I always like to say, have a plan and then plan to be flexible. <laughs> yep, exactly. Because, you know, life happens and sometimes mm-hmm. you've got to make some turns and changes in our life. And then like, the whole gratitude thing. I don't know about you, but I always felt like, you know, people tend to say like, Oh, I'm so sorry. And that's normal, right? Like it it didn't, it never upsets me or anything like that, but it's kind of like, well, don't be sorry because yes, my body has had to go through a whole lot of crap that I wish it didn't. And I don't Mm -hmm. wish anybody, but I learned more about myself. So like you, that was kind of the first thing I did was okay, like, what do I really want? And how am I going to get it? And what's actually important to me? So it allowed me to just totally like, revamp that piece of my life and begin a new journey, which was really powerful. And then um, so like, I would walk really slow too, and very carefully because balance was a big thing for me too. And so gratitude that, you know, everyone else is rushing by in a hurry to get to their next destination. And I'm like literally taking in the beauty of this world, seeing trees, seeing flowers, watching people. And it's so fun. Like now, cause I have my two new knees and I can walk a little bit faster and <laughs> I'm so grateful, but I also take time to slow down for other people. So I met this man, I didn't meet him, but I saw this man who was in front of me and he wanted me to go in front of him because he was a little slower. And I'm like, no, take your time. Just, you know, do your thing. And then I went to my car because I followed him for quite a a while. And then when I returned to my car, he was there again. And um, I told him, you know, don't ever let people make you feel like you need to step to the side or hurry go faster, like just enjoy how, what you're doing, you know, walk your pace and, uh, and give that like permission almost, or just like that patience to other people, whether they are taking it in or not, like mm-hmm. slow down, breathe, like take it in. And I feel like I really appreciated that lesson. And I, I'm always zoom, zoom, zoom. Cause I have three kids and like, I'm busy, but I try to say, no, take a breath and just be here in the moment. Sometimes like I'm rushing to tie my daughter's shoe or like, no, we got to go. We're late. And then I'm like, no, Lisa, just you'll get there. Mm -hmm. No, you'll get there. Yeah, totally. Cause especially like I can't run if I wanted to. And so a lot of times you're right. You're kind of forced to, especially at the beginning, you feel like you're forced to walk slow, but then I realize like I'm much more relaxed. Like, yeah, there's times when I'm running late to work and I'm like, I wish I could run right now. Mm -hmm. But then there's other times I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go as fast as I can safely 
and still get there. Or when I'm walking around, even like if it's raining outside, I walk way slower because my balance and grip is negligible. And I'm like, you know what? Guess what? I'm getting wet. <laughs> it's not even a question. I'm just going to look like a drowned rat. And <laughs> I'll just, you know, accept it because on, for one, there's no changing it. And it's who I am. It's how I work and operate. And sometimes carrying around an umbrella is more of a hazard because of the wind gusts than it is a help. And so I just accept it. And then I go, oh, this actually kind of feels good. Like mm -hmm. I can enjoy seeing things and walking around and doing things. And that's who I am. And inwardly, I'm like, I'm just really glad I can walk. Yeah. And the other part is, you know, I, I find things in stores that I shouldn't find. So that's, that's a negative part because I'm walking around going, Ooh, that would be nice. Right? And then I have to tell myself to speed show. up yeah. <laughs> Especially this time of year with all the decorations out. Oh, it's bad. So I know. Oh, but yeah, just really kind of relishing those, those small moments. Yeah. And I just feel like the lessons are taken into so many other areas like so yes the health part of it and our healing journey but also like for me in parenting in business in relationships just like in general mm -hmm. I'm always able to like check myself on no like remember when you were your life was stopped completely and you felt horrible every single day like, don't forget what that was like and just rush back into the busyness. Like, yeah, stay, no. stay the path of changing the way that not only I'm living, but I'm encouraging other people to live around me. And I feel like these kinds of stories are so powerful and great reminders for us and others as well. Definitely. Joy, you are just like amazing. And you already know this. Um, the fact that you're sharing this story I mean, so many people might feel like a similar story they have experienced, they have to kind of like hide and, you know, just keep it to themselves or like, um, I don't know, like so many things, but like, I hope if somebody's listening today, they're really grasping the fact that they don't have to, they can use it as an opportunity to change their life and the world like you have been doing. And mm -hmm. just feel some hope, you know, I know that faith ha has obviously been something that you and I have carried through everything that we've been through and not everyone has the same faith. So right. it's not something that like I'm, I talk about a lot in my business, but if anyone ever wants to talk about what that is like and what it means, I'm always available for that conversation too, um, because it's. I, I, I wouldn't be here without it. <laughs> I really wouldn't be. Yeah, know? same. So, and if you want to hear more about Joy's story, um, Joy, you have a, not a book, right? It's a, it's like a short story, a short story. Okay. So where, yes. tell us about it and where can we find it? Yeah. So I have a short story uh, with my story and some tips that I use to recover um, mentally, physically, all of those good things um, in my short story. So it is, you can download a free copy of it on my website. It's joycooperpilot.com slash story. So if you want to go get that, it's a free PDF. I think it's only like 13 pages long. So not super long, but hopefully a really good encouragement and some tips that you can apply. You know, like Lisa was saying, regardless of your faith or beliefs, it's really just being able to kind of grasp that hope and get some practical 
applicable things that you can do to be able to dig yourself out of whatever it is that your your mind or your body has gotten you into because a lot of times we do that a lot <laughs> but yeah go to that um site it's joycooperpilot.com slash story and i'd love for you to read it and be encouraged yes and we also have joy's website and social media links so that you can connect with her and just continue following her journey because like you have heard me mention if you've been listening for a while like our we are not going to ever reach that that thing we're aspiring to reach it's always an evolving journey so you know three years ago this happened in joy's life and she had been on her path of recovery and then last month had to kind of restart a piece of it so and you know she's still here and she's still moving forward and like we say like we're fighting for what we want but it's not really a fight we're just determined and we're committed and um and i think that just you know goes such a long way So definitely get that short story and continue following Joy's journey. Um, Joy, thank you. I appreciate you so much. I seriously am in awe of you. And I just love that you are smiling and just showing up and being that piece of inspiration for so many people. Thank you. It's always good meeting a fellow, uh, someone who understands the physical aspects of, of life that try to come get you down. So I love sharing that story with you. Yes. Well, thank you so much. And I look forward to staying in touch too. And I'll talk to you um, soon and continue following your journey myself. Sounds great. Thanks. All right. Before you sneak off, let me ask you something. Are you tired of the revenue roller coaster? Are you looking for ways to sell a course or membership on autopilot? I thought you might be. That's why I partnered with Haley Burkhead, CEO of Recurring Profit, to sponsor this episode. I get it. You hear about the idea of recurring revenue, but maybe you aren't quite sure where to start. The key to making this work is plugging into a proven system that doesn't require your full attention day after day. Haley has created a free training to teach you her A to Z roadmap for how to create an automated revenue stream that generates consistent 10K plus months. You can even customize this training based on whether you already have a course or membership, or if you just have an idea for one. Either way, you can get free access right now. Go to recurringprofit.com slash automate. If you are... Excited about this, I hope you also know that as a Created For More listener, when you sign up for the free training using our link, you'll also get access to her Trello board, which maps out the entire Recurring Profit roadmap. So go now, head over to recurringprofit.com automate, or click the link from the show notes and have fun making your own recurring revenue profit.